Welcome to the Apostles Houston podcast, and thanks for listening. As a community following Jesus in Houston, we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do the kinds of things Jesus did. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we invite you to join us for worship each Sunday at 10 a.m. in Houston Heights. For more information, visit us online at ApostlesHouston.org. All right, well, good morning. Is it a good morning? How are you guys doing? I feel like UT and A&M, man, rough day. Just, you can feel it. You can almost feel it in the room. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, uh, I know that feeling. My, my college team doesn't often win, and so I'm used to losing, but I know you guys aren't, so it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Um, well, I'm excited this morning. We're going we're gonna to talk about Christ in the Psalms. We're kicking off this new series um, I've shared a little bit about this, and hopefully you've been receiving some information in uh, your email uh, that'll help you as you enter into this. Our life groups kicked off this past week and are uh, entering into the study of the Psalms. And uh, I wanted to start uh, maybe in a surprising place to enter into the Psalms in Luke chapter 24. Uh, and so if you want to grab a Bible and turn to Luke chapter 24, the verses I just read, uh, this uh, amazing encounter with Jesus himself on the road to Emmaus. Uh, I love the picture that we get uh, here in Luke chapter 24, uh, this picture of these two men, these two followers of Jesus, walking along the road outside of Jerusalem, and they encounter Jesus himself, and this picture of them just walking and talking with Jesus and discovering more about who he is. Their eyes are open to who he is in an incredible way when the bread is broken, but they, they get to walk and talk with him. Uh, along the road. And I try to imagine what that must have been like. Ryan said it this morning. Like, we, we don't have that experience, right? We're, Jesus isn't physically present, even though he is present. Um, and so what would it have been like to walk and to talk with Jesus along the road? I wonder, I wonder what, what would it feel like for you this afternoon if you had the opportunity to take a long walk with Jesus? Can you imagine what that would feel like to be able to walk and talk with Jesus. And I, I mean, have like a real conversation. They were talking about really intense, heavy things as they walked along the road, things that were burning uh, these men's hearts. And so if you could take a walk like that with Jesus, if you could take a long, slow walk with him and talk about the things that are on your own heart, if you could have that kind of conversation about uh, maybe the fears that are keeping you up at night, Right now, if you could have a conversation with him about the doubts that you're wrestling with, uh, about the trouble in your family or your relationships that you're experiencing right now, if you could have a conversation with Jesus about those kinds of things, can you imagine what that conversation would be like? How would he encourage you? What would he say to you? What assurance would he offer? What peace would he offer? What, what hope would he give you as you walked with him down the road, what would his words be to you right now in this moment in your life? What would it be like to walk and to talk with Jesus like that? Luke 24, 44 tells us what Jesus told them in that moment they had with him. Luke 24, 44 says that these two men, uh, Jesus says to them, these are the words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 
And then he opened their minds to the scriptures, it says. So this question, if you could take a long walk with Jesus, what would he say to you? We don't have to actually wonder what he would say to you. Because what Jesus says to these two men, he would say to you and me. He would open the scriptures. He would turn to God's word. He, he would help us to understand. He would open our minds, just like he did that day, so that we would see God's word speaking directly into our hearts, into our lives. Not just in some abstract general way, but really speaking to us right where we are today. And so what stood out to me in reading this story again was that it says that Jesus opened up to them the prophets, the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, specifically the Psalms. I love that he opened the Psalms. He, he, I don't know how he did that. You know, he wasn't carrying along a scroll along the road. So when it says he, he was teaching them from the Psalms, he must have been pulling from memory, right? These were songs that he knew uh, by heart. And so he He's walking with them and he's talking with them. And I imagine, you know, that he began maybe to recite poetry. When was the last time you were on a walk with someone and they just started reciting poetry to you out of nowhere? But I imagine maybe Jesus did exactly that. Maybe, maybe, if we could let our imaginations go there, maybe he even sang to them. Because the Psalms, after all, are poetry and song. And so, you know, maybe it's taking a little liberty with the passage, but it's not hard to imagine that Jesus would have been saying these words to them from the psalm to comfort them, to encourage them. And so maybe he turned to places like Psalm 118. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Or maybe he turned to Psalm 22, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but he has heard when he cried to him. He was encouraging them with these psalms and these songs. So these two men on the road outside of Emmaus, in their darkest hour, their most difficult time, their long walk with Jesus, as he comforted them, encouraged them, he invited them to trust the Lord, he did that through the psalms. It's amazing. That's where Jesus turned. He pointed them to the psalms because they revealed to, to them himself. And so, and thinking about this, this season that we're going to go through this fall and looking at the Psalms, um, that's what we want to ask God to do as we're looking at the Psalms. We want Jesus to open up our minds to his word so that we can see Christ in the Psalms, so we can have him revealed and maybe fresh in new ways. And so this morning we're going to get started in that series called Christ in the Psalms. Uh, and to do that, I want to do something a little bit different um, I, I begun to kind of think through how, how could we kind of introduce the Psalms and do that well. And honestly, I came across this resource, and, and some of our life groups have been using this resource, and I just thought they said it better than I could ever say it. So this is a little bit different for us, but there's a short video that I want us to watch together from the Bible Project. And if you're not familiar with this resource, it's a great resource. But they introduce uh, the Psalms, and so we're going to watch this video uh, together, and then I'll share a few more words after that. But James, you want to go ahead and cue that up for us? No sound. We've been talking about poetry in the Bible, how biblical poets love design and masterfully use metaphor and symbolism. 
These poems invite us into an experience, to ponder ideas slowly and from many angles. And the largest collection of poetry in the Bible is the book of Psalms. So that's what we're gonna look at here. Now, the Israelites composed lots of poetry throughout their history. Yeah, poems were written by Israelites, sages, kings, and prophets. Some poems were sung by choirs in the Jerusalem temple, while others were prayed by families at home. And over the centuries, the most important and widely read poems were compiled together to be read or sung on special occasions. And I'm familiar with books of poetry, a large collection of the greatest poems in one place, and I can read through and pick my favorites. But the Book of Psalms isn't that kind of collection. Here, each poem has been expertly crafted and then placed where it is for a reason, to create a storyline from the book's beginning to its end. The Psalms poetically retell the entire biblical story, and they invite you into a literary temple. A literary temple? Yeah, so the tabernacle and then later the temple in Jerusalem were where ancient Israelites went to meet with God. When you arrived, you would see art and imagery everywhere. You'd see priests performing rituals. You'd hear songs and prayers, all of it symbolically proclaiming that your God rules the world from this mountain and you're in his living room. So the temple was a place to be in God's presence and also to immerse yourself in the story of God's kingdom. Exactly. And so try to imagine how traumatic it was when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, plundered and burned the temple, and then took many Israelites into exile. Yeah, where can they go now to meet with God, to sing their story and say their prayers? That's where the book of Psalms comes in. It's a prayer book for exiles designed as a virtual temple. You enter the Psalms to meet with God and to hear the entire biblical story of God's kingdom sung back to you in poetry. Cool, but how does the Psalms do it? Let's start with the book's design. There are 150 poems broken up into five clear sections. At the beginning, there's been placed a short introduction, Psalms 1 and 2, which lay out the main themes of the whole book by reviewing the biblical storyline. Okay. Psalm 1 looks back to the Garden of Eden and its river of life. Yeah, God placed humanity in a garden temple. And here, humans decide to define good and evil on their own terms, and so are exiled from the garden. But the first psalm paints a portrait of hope, about an upright human who delights in God's wisdom, which is called Torah, or instruction. This person is like the tree of life in the garden temple. They eternally blossom because they're planted in the river of God's life. Yeah, that's beautiful, but who's it supposed to be? Well, remember that story in Genesis? After humanity's foolish rebellion, God made a promise. Oh right, a future human, the seed of the woman who would come and defeat evil and restore the world. And that's what Psalm 2 is about. God's promise that a king would come from the line of David. He's called the Son of God and the Messiah. God appoints him to bring justice on human evil and to restore God's kingdom and peace over the nations. So Psalms 1 and 2 introduce all these main themes. Yes, and then the book develops those themes through the five sections. The first two explore the complicated story of David and his royal family. The third section focuses on the tragedy of Israel's exile and the downfall of David's royal line. But then the fourth and fifth sections rekindle the hope for the Messiah, a new temple, and God's kingdom on the other side of the exile. Then the book ends with a five-part conclusion, praising God for his faithfulness. Cool. Now, nearly half of the Psalms are connected to one guy, King David, who God chose to rule Israel. Yes, David's story is really important in this book. He experienced many times of hardship, but he trusted God with radical faith. And in these poems, David shares his fears, confesses his failures, and offers thanks to his Redeemer. 
and he's constantly speaking of a deep longing to be in God's presence in the temple. But wait, David lived before the temple was even built. Exactly. This portrait of David, hoping and praying for God's kingdom and a future temple, it resembles the hopes of the later generations of the exiles. And so David's prayers could become theirs as well. David's like a prayer coach, giving us words for how to pray and how to discover God's presence in good times and bad. Exactly. There are 73 poems connected to David, but most of the rest come from later generations of biblical poets, and they have learned to pray and hope like David. And so the end result is the Book of Psalms, designed as a virtual temple for all generations of God's people. This isn't a kind of book you just read once and put down. No, it's designed for a lifetime of slow rereading and reflection. These prayers and laments and songs of praise are meant to become our own. They're poems for exiles who are learning to live by God's wisdom and to seek God's justice in the world as they hope for the coming Messiah and the kingdom of God. I found that incredibly helpful, just as a, an overview of the Psalms. And I don't know if you've ever studied the Psalms, but um, you know there are five books. There's 150 Psalms, uh, and most of the time in my life, I've read them as one-offs. You know, look at Psalm 51, or look at Psalm 22, or look at Psalm 119. But I think it's helpful to see how they're actually helping tell the story of Scripture in a really beautiful and powerful way. And I think that video highlights that and also highlights how relevant the Psalms are for us as those who are waiting for Jesus' own return. And so uh, we've got that on our website, and I encourage you maybe to go back and watch it again on your own. It's, it's very helpful in kind of setting the table again um, for the Psalms. Now, as we go through the Psalms, uh, we're not going to have time to look at all 150, uh, obviously. Um, so what we're going to do over the next nine weeks is we're going to look at nine uh, different Psalms. Uh, and you can see, again, on the website, you can see which Psalms we're going to look at which week. And what we're going to do is ask one simple question, which is, how does the psalm help us see Jesus? So that's why we've called it Christ in the Psalms. We want to ask, how does this psalm help us see Jesus? Uh, and some of those psalms will be psalms that you know very well. So uh, Psalm 23, we're going to look at that one. Psalm 40, uh, Psalm 139, one of my favorites. Uh, but we'll also explore maybe some psalms that uh, may not be quite as familiar to you. Psalm uh, 32, for example, or maybe Psalm 103. Um, and so you can see uh, this list online again. I encourage you to kind of go and you can see where we're going. But as we start this journey through the Psalms together, uh, what I wanted to do is kind of set the table with just two thoughts that I think will help us, uh, as the video was describing, kind of enter into the Psalms, maybe in a little bit different way than we typically uh, enter into other aspects or other types of Scripture. Um, and so the first thing that I want to encourage us to do uh, as we look and uh, journey through the Psalms together is to see that Christ is in every psalm. So it's not just a few psalms here and there that point us to Christ. It's actually every single psalm. Um, it might surprise you, um, therefore, to, to know that, that because of that reality, uh, or maybe it wouldn't surprise you, you know that the psalms have figured very uh, largely in the life and the worship of the church and even going back to the people of Israel in terms of how the psalms were used. So, for example, in the early church, devout followers of Jesus were uh, many times expected to uh, memorize the entire Psalter. So all 150 psalms committed to memory. Um, the psalms were among the most preached on texts 
in the history of the church. So more passages have been preached on from the Psalms uh, typically than almost any other book of the Bible. Part of that's because the Psalms are the most referred to book in the New Testament, referring back to the Old Testament. Um, Until modern times, the Psalms were the form of worship for God's people. If you were singing, you were singing the Psalms. In fact, the first book ever published in North America was uh, the Bay Psalter. It was a, a, a psalm book. It was a worship book. Uh, and so you can see this legacy even in our own prayer book. So there's little red books uh, around you. In our prayer book, uh, there are daily readings from the Psalms, both for, both for the morning and for the evening, on a 30-day and a 60-day cycle. And so the question is, well, why have these Psalms been so essential, uh, not just for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, but for the New Testament people of God, the church. Why have they been so essential for followers of Jesus? And it's because the Psalms really are all about Jesus. They point us to Jesus. The trick is they don't all point to Jesus in the same way. They point to Jesus in a lot of different ways. So, um, for example, uh, we might be tempted to kind of approach this thinking that, well, we just want to look for Jesus in the Psalms, kind of like we would do like a, a Where's Waldo puzzle. Right, like let's just find Jesus here and there and pick him off, uh, you know. But the reality is that looking for Jesus um, takes a little more effort uh, and, and a little more of the Holy Spirit revealing Jesus to us as we look through the Psalms. So sometimes it'll be obvious. So like Psalm twenty-three, right? The Lord is my shepherd, right? And Jesus Himself called Himself the what? The good shepherd. Okay, so yeah, so okay, we see that. Uh, but sometimes finding Jesus uh, is a little bit more difficult. And I love how St. Augustine talked about this. Uh, St. Augustine, he, he said there's a lot of different ways that you can see Jesus in the Psalms. For example, you can see uh, in the Psalms a word about Jesus. So talking about Jesus, for example, as the shepherd, the true and good shepherd. Uh, or you can see in the Psalms words that are actually to Christ. So in other words, putting words in our mouth of worship and praise to Christ. Uh, sometimes we can see words that Christ is speaking directly to us through the Psalms. And so there's lots of ways that Jesus can be actually found in the Psalms. And so we want to we learn how to see Jesus as we read through both individually and corporately. And so take Psalm 1, uh, for example. They referred to Psalm 1 in the video. Uh, our life groups this week are studying uh, Psalm 1, and so you'll dive in uh, more in depth to, to looking at Psalm 1 and how we find Jesus there and what God is doing through that. But Psalm 1, suffice it to say, is a meditation on how the wise person lives and what they are hoping for. Um, and so it says, blessed is the man, right, who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So just stepping back from those first opening verses of Psalm 1, the opening verses of the psalm, you can see, okay, well, here we're being encouraged to what? To, to, to live in a certain way, right? It's inviting us into the way of God, into the way of Jesus. And so we might look at this and we say, okay, it's, it's encouraging us to be this kind of person, right, who, who, who walks and stands and sits in a particular way, to live in a way that delights in the law of the Lord and glorifies God. And so we can see that, but it also forces us to ask a question, right? Who ultimately can do that? Can we do that? Can we do that 
all the time, everywhere, in all circumstances? No, we can't. And so immediately it turns our attention to this question of who can walk and who can stand and who can sit? Who can live a righteous life that always delights in obeying and glorifying God? And the answer to that is only Jesus, only Jesus. And so it immediately turns our attention again to Christ. Psalm 1 encourages us to look to Jesus and live in the way of Jesus simultaneously. And so you'll dive more into that in your life groups. But every psalm in its own way proclaims, in other words, the gospel. It proclaims the gospel. They all point to Jesus. That's why um, they, they, in the video they talked about it tells the whole story of Scripture. I love what Martin Luther said. He said, it contained within the psalms is the Bible in miniature. Right? Which is a profound thing to say, that within these 150 psalms is contained all the truth and beauty of the story of Scripture. You can find it there. The story of redemption, the good news of what God has done for us in Christ in the form of poetry and song. And so as we read the Psalms, what I want to ask us to do is just prayerfully ask the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ to us as we read the Psalms. I encourage you to, to do that and begin to look for Christ. So the second thing I want to encourage us to do as we enter into this series is uh, to see the Psalms are poetry and that they should be read as poetry. Um, we're so used to reading the Bible in a particular way. Um, and typically what we do is we, we kind of break down the scriptures in smaller and smaller parts, kind of almost, almost like dissecting it, right, until we can get to uh, the, the meaning and then we try to reconstruct so we, we understand. And there's a place for that. Sometimes that's very helpful. We just went through Romans and I would say we used a very similar approach to understanding what is Paul's argument here? What is he trying to say? We have to break it down and then kind of put it all back together and understand what is his argument. But that is not how you read poetry, okay? So when I was, uh, when I was in, I think I was in high school as a freshman, we had to dissect a frog, right? And what happens when you dissect a frog to the frog? You kill the frog, okay? <laughs> right? So if you, if you dissect poetry, you will kill the poetry, right? You can't, you can't approach it with the same mindset. You kind of actually have to come at poetry as such. Matt Finley's not. He's like, yes, preach it, brother. English, yes, teaches English. Okay, so, so yes, yeah, so there's this reality where we have to actually maybe have a little bit of a mind shift, and we have to ask the Holy Spirit, help us to encounter this as poetry. I love what Alan Ross in his uh, excellent commentary on the Psalms writes. He says this, poetry takes us beyond the straightforward meaning of the words, right? Poetry wants to excite in us feelings and ideas, in effect, to recreate the emotional experience um, based on the choice of the words of the author. To communicate such ideas and emotions, he says, requires the use of pictures and symbols. And you see this in the Psalms, loaded with imagery, right? Pictures, symbols. Thus, poetry, he says, is both satisfying to our human desire as we were created for something beautiful, aesthetics, and meaningful to our human need for image, right? We, after all, are image bearers. There's something innate in us that desires to connect, not only with words, but images, ideas. You know, if I say tree, most of you don't picture the word tree. You picture a tree, right? So this, there's this real powerful thing in the way we're made that poetry is tapping into and connecting with. And so, I've been thinking about it this. Psalms kind of, I think they're meant to function more like 
how we interact with a, 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 an amazing piece of art, right? Like when you go and you view some masterpiece that, and, and you really allow it to, to kind of speak to you, you, you kind of sit with it. You, you, you observe it. You, you may think about how it was created, the different materials and those kinds of things, but really you, you, you want to let it speak to you right? in, in a totally different way than when you're looking at a math problem. And so poetry is like a piece of art. It invites you enter in, to enter into a different way of seeing and feeling and thinking. Tremper Longman, um, in his great little book, How to Read the Psalms, he says this, Psalms have the power to inform our intellect, arouse our emotions, direct our wills, and stimulate our imaginations. To put it really succinctly, one author said, the Psalms are poetry on fire. I love that. So, so that's what we're looking to encounter is the Psalms as poetry, to read them as poetry. God speaks through all his word, but I would say there's something special about the way the Psalms minister to your heart. It's just different. They, they do bring us into God's presence in a unique and powerful way. And, and I would say in my own life, especially in times of struggle, in times where I didn't feel like I could connect with God at a heart level, you know, moments where I felt confused. Moment, those moments where I really, I couldn't sense God's presence or direction. I, I just, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say. And I have found in those moments, the Psalms minister powerfully to my heart. That somehow reading the Psalms puts words on my lips that I can't find on my own. It connects with things that I'm feeling that I don't even know how to describe or reckon with. And so the Psalms have brought me to tears, they've moved me to repentance, they've offered me hope, they've given me joy in different seasons of my life. And it's one of the great gifts, I think, of the Psalms, that through the Psalms, God gives us words to say when we can't find the words to say. It, it's, it's as if he's giving us the words we need to talk with him through the Psalms. So I wanna encourage you um, to enter into the Psalms as poetry. And that may be way outside your comfort zone. I'm an English major, so I'm like, this is gonna be awesome, right? But maybe you're like, you know, can real men read poetry? Yes, they can, okay? And, you, and yeah, so just try it, okay? To enter into this place, even if it's a little uncomfortable for you. And I would say, enter into it daily. Really wanna encourage you to, to maybe consider this new practice. The Book of Common Prayer, I mentioned, has a daily reading plan for the Psalms. It takes you through almost every Psalm in the scriptures over 30 days or 60 days. You can, you can do either plan. And so it's just a psalm in the morning and a psalm in the evening. If that sounds like too much, just start with one psalm uh, in the morning and just read it. Again, as poetry, don't try to dissect it. Just read it, pray it, and let it kind of just sit with you. Um, I would say be creative about how you interact and engage with the psalms. There's so many songs and artistic renderings of the Psalms that you can find online. Um, there's, uh, there's ways to be creative about this that kind of immerse you in the Psalms, which is what we're after. In uh, life group training this morning, somebody mentioned um, the, the power of kind of immersive language learning, right? There's a difference between kind of learning a new language through some software or immersing yourself in a totally new culture and learning the language of the place. And we almost wanna take that approach. We wanna immerse ourselves in the world of the Psalms and let that become our prayer language, our worship language. So I would say read it daily. And then the second thing I would encourage you to do is to read them slowly. 
Read them very slowly. Uh, marinate in the Psalms. Let it capture your imagination. I would encourage you maybe consider memorizing uh, some of the Psalms. Find something in the Psalms that connects with you, where you are, what God is teaching you, what God is doing in your life, your need, what you feel right now. Memorize it, chew on it, line by line. Learn to say it out loud. Let it shape your prayer life and your thinking and your imagination. So daily and slowly. And so what I, what I want us to do uh, as we are starting this, is I want us to actually do that together. I want us to read Psalm 1 together uh, and to read it out loud and to read it slowly um, this morning. And this is stepping into a practice that's been common within the church for millennia uh, of public readings of the Psalms. And so we want to, in a sense, recover that and allow the Holy Spirit just to minister in our midst as we read Psalm 1. And so if you want to um, grab one of those red prayer books in front of you and just open it to page 270, that way we all have the same version. We don't have to worry about who's got which version. Just open to page 270, 270, and we're going to read together Psalm 1, and this is just going to be our corporate prayer. And the way um, that we're going to do this is we're going to um, say it uh, what's called antiphonally. So this is, I'll read the first line, and then you read the second line. And then I'll read the next line, and so forth. And so that's what the little asterisk means. I'll read to the asterisk, and then we all read, and then to the end of the sentence, and then so forth. Does that make sense? Okay. And so if you'll turn to page 270, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to lead us through reading this uh, and meditating on this psalm together, this poetry on fire. So, Lord, I just pray that right now you would quiet our hearts. Lord, there's a lot of things going on in our lives. Lord, I confess I feel stressed and uh, we just have a lot going on in our lives. And this is an opportunity for you to minister through your word by your spirit. So would you just slow us down? Blessed is the man who has not walked in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stood in the way of sinners, and has not sat in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law will he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the waterside that will bring forth his fruit in due season. His leaf also shall not wither. And look, whatever he does, it shall prosper. As for the ungodly, it is not so with them. But they are like the chaff which the wind scatters away from the face of the earth. Therefore, the ungodly shall not be able to stand in the judgment neither the sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you could feel, feel that slowing you down. I want to encourage you to, as we said, read daily, read slowly, immerse yourself 
uh, in these psalms and allow the Holy Spirit to minister to you and speak to you and draw you to Christ into his presence as we enter into this uh, series called Christ in the Psalms. Thanks again for listening. We hope this resource has been helpful to you. If you have questions or are just looking for more information, you can check out our website at apostleshouston.org.